Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the murmuring of Israel as we pick up in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord, and they pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Now, their murmuring and their complaining was really uh, classified by Moses as a tempting of God. We are warned in the New Testament concerning the failure of the children of Israel because they were guilty of tempting God and proving him, murmuring against him. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us with thirst? Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What am I going to do with these people? They're ready to kill me. Poor Moses, I tell you, the position of leadership is not an easy position. And, And Moses didn't have an easy task at all. And here the people now ready to stone him. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod where you smote the river, take it in your hand and go. And behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, which means temptation, and Mirabah, because of the chiding or the uh, striving of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And so first of all, it was their hunger. Now, God has promised to provide all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And having led them out, God would have provided and taken care of them. Their first complaint was that of of their hunger. The second was that of water. These are two necessities, food and drink, especially in a wilderness area. So I think that it is important to notice that Though Moses was really upset with the people, there is no indication that God was upset with them. For their needs were natural needs. Now, the way they were going about the accusations that they were making were extreme and wrong, and yet the need was a natural need. God recognized that, and and God does not show any displeasure with the people so much as he does show with as Moses actually shows to the people. But God now tells Moses, take the rod and strike the rock and water will come forth. Now in the New Testament, 
we are told that these things are all figures. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's mythology, it's actual history, but they all have a spiritual counterpart. And we are told by Paul that that rock was Christ. Now you remember Jesus on the last day, the great day of the feast, cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This was the feast of tabernacles in which they were celebrating how God preserved their fathers through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And a part of the preservation was the providing of the water out of the rock. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam with these large water jugs, and they would fill them with water, and they would come back up to the steps where several hundred thousand Jews would be gathered in the Great Temple Mount area. And in front of all of the people as they were singing the Hallel Psalms, the priest would pour the water out on the pavement there of the Temple Mount. And that was to remind them how that God gave water to their fathers out of the rock in the wilderness. This was just sort of weaved into the celebration of, of tabernacles, the booths, where they had to make their little booths, again, to remind them how their fathers lived out in the wilderness for 40 years. And so this pouring out of water ceremony was a reminder of the water out of the rock, this experience. Now Jesus, even as he took the Passover and applied it to himself personally, and said, this bread is my body broken for you. This cup is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. Now here at the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day, the great day of the feast, they would not go down and, and get the water. They didn't pour it out. They'd do it for the seven days of the feast. The eighth day, the great day, they wouldn't do it which was symbolic of the fact that we are now in the land that God promised to our fathers we don't need the miraculous water out of the rock. And on that day, as the people were gathered, the great assembly of people there on the Temple Mount, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he who drinks of the water that I give out of his innermost being, there will flow rivers of living water. So Paul tells us that Jesus is the rock. He is the rock from which the living waters flow. In that land where water was such a premium and thirst is almost constant, the idea of Christ as the water of life is probably much more significant than it is to us here where you just go turn a spigot on and get a drink whenever you're thirsty. There, you really had to think about water. You had to, you had to be constantly thinking about water. Wherever you go, you'd have to think about, well, where will I get my water? Your water supply was an important thing. And so Jesus, the fountain of living waters, and so the final invitation of Revelation is him that is a thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life freely, partake of Christ. So Christ is the rock the fulfillment of this Feast of the Tabernacle, the rock from which the water flows, the water of life by which we might 
have life. Now, this is why when later on the people came to Moses again and they were thirsty, and Moses went in before the Lord and said, God, I can't stand it. These people are complaining again. And God said, that's all right, Moses, go out and speak to the rock. And water will come forth. And Moses went out and he was angry with the people. And he said, must I smite this rock again and give you water? And he smote the rock with his rod. And water came forth. But God called Moses in and said, Moses, that was a bad mistake. I told you to speak to the rock. And you disobeyed me. You misrepresented me before those people. And because of that, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. Oh, God, please, I'm sorry. Please let me go in. Don't talk to me anymore about it, Moses. It's the way it's got to be. Why? Because now the symbolism is broken. You see, the rock was smitten. And from the smitten rock comes life. From Jesus being smitten, there comes forth life to you. But once the rock has been smitten, it never needs to be smitten again. He died once and for all. So that we need not to smite the rock to get the water all we need to do is by faith ask. Speak to the rock and water will come forth. So we are not in the position of smiting the rock. That has already happened. Christ was smitten and the water of life came forth. Now all that is necessary is just speak, ask, and ye shall receive the water of life freely. And so the whole scene here uh, as God was setting the thing up. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now Amalek was the grandson of Esau who was of the fleshly seed and represents the flesh. So in Scripture, Amalek is always a type of the flesh, the flesh life, the fleshly seed. There is a spiritual seed, there is a fleshly seed. There is a spiritual side of my nature, there is a fleshly side of my nature, and the spirit and the flesh are in conflict. A constant warfare. My spirit lusting against my flesh, my flesh against the spirit, these two are contrary. And every child of God knows what it is to have a conflict with his flesh. Now, Amalek is a type of the flesh. And here God's people, the spiritual seed is coming in to take the land, but the flesh is the first thing that moves in the way to stop them and to hinder them from going in and taking and possessing that which God has promised to give to them. One of the biggest barriers to our receiving the full promises of God for our lives is our flesh. The flesh is always warring against the spirit. 
and our flesh would keep us from entering into the fullness of God's promises and into the fullness of God's blessings. Amalek came out to meet them. The picture of the flesh and fought with them. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and he fought with the Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on the stone, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek, and his people with the edge of the sword. Joshua, of course, is the name Jesus in Greek, which means Jehovah is salvation. And so God's salvation, Joshua was, was sent to fight against them, was put over the, the servants of God and fought against Amalek, the picture of the flesh, and they prevailed. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. So Moses was already writing the events that were transpiring and, and later on was to write and to compile these first five books of the Old Testament. And so the compiling of the book, no doubt, was already in progress at this time. God told him to write this in the book as a memorial and to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, have you met an Amalek lately? Amalekite? No, God's wiped him out. He said he would. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord has become our banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord has sworn that you're going to have a battle with your flesh from generation to generation, and so it is true. You remember later on in the history, God gave a command that is difficult for many people to understand, and, and because of this, many of the critics have faulted the Bible and faulted God. At the time when Saul was king of Israel, God ordered Saul through Samuel to go down and to utterly slay the Amaleks. Remember that? Utterly slay them. Don't even leave an animal alive. Slay all the men, women, and children, and every animal. Wipe them out completely. And as I say, people have great difficulty in understanding this particular command of God. 
But when we realize that Amalek represents the flesh, what God is saying is that you can't make any truths with your flesh. God has no remedy for your flesh. God's only answer for your flesh is crucifixion. Put it to death. You, by the Spirit, mortify the deeds of your flesh. God didn't want him to make any truce. God didn't want him to leave anything of the flesh. Utterly destroy it. Wipe it out completely. That was the command of God unto Saul. Now Saul failed to obey God, and God was angry with Saul, and God said, because you have rejected God from ruling over you, you've refused to obey God, thus God has rejected you from being king over Israel. And it was as a result of this that Saul was dethroned, rejected by God. His failure of complete obedience in totally wiping out the flesh, Amalek. Now, later on in the Jewish history, we come across another man who was of the tribe or of the people of Amalek. Because Saul failed to wipe them out completely, Amalek came close to wiping out the children of God. It was the time when Esther was queen. And her uncle... Mordecai refused to bow to this wicked Haman. And so Haman was so angered by this man's refusal to bow to him that he went to the king to sign a decree that on a particular day every Jew in all the kingdom should be destroyed. You remember the story of Haman? Haman was an Amalek. He was of Amalek. Because Saul failed to totally destroy the flesh, the flesh came back and almost destroyed the people of God. For the king signed the decree, and the day was appointed when all of the people from Israel were to be slain in all of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So, Amalek, whenever you read of it in the scripture, is always a type of the flesh, the flesh life. As I say, God doesn't have any reformation programs, which we're always trying to reform our flesh. God has no reformation programs. He has only one edict for the flesh. That's crucify it. I am crucified with Christ. That's God's only solution for your flesh. You try to pamper it, you try to nurture it, you try to keep alive the best part of it, you say, oh, well, you know, I just keep the best part of my flesh for God. Like Saul, you know, Lord, I saved the best for you. I want to make a sacrifice. To obey is better than to sacrifice and hearken that it is better than the fat of ram. So Make no covenant with him. God said there's going to be warfare with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, when Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses and 
father-in-law, but the same Hebrew word could be translated brother-in-law, for we remember earlier he was called Ruel. The father-in-law of Moses was called Ruel. And so it could be that this is Jethro, another name for Ruel, or it could be that Jethro is actually Moses' wife's brother. But he was a priest of Midian. And as I say, the word father-in-law could also be translated brother-in-law from the Hebrew. He heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Now you remember when Moses was coming out with his wife Zipporah, when God first called Moses to go deliver the children of Israel, and, and Moses was heading down towards Egypt, and, and the Lord met Moses and, and almost killed him. So Zipporah knew what was going on. She quickly circumcised their boy, and uh, she actually accused Moses of being a bloody man and so forth. Evidently, at that point, they... they it, was, it wasn't a pleasant scene. I mean, it was, it was quite a tiff between them. And evidently, Moses just sent her back to her dad. You go back to your dad. I'm heading on down to do my work in Egypt. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 17-18 through 18 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you. May the Lord cause you to abound in every good work for Jesus Christ. And may the Lord grant to you new dimensions of relationship with Him that you might become more keenly aware of His presence with you and His power to help you. May God bless you. May you have just a fruitful, blessed week walking with Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Through the course of the years, you, our radio listeners, have provided us with valuable feedback as to what has impacted you the most, or what has moved you spiritually in your walk with God. 
So it's with great pleasure that the word for today is pleased to offer you a collection of all-time favorites entitled Pastor Chuck Smith's Most Requested Bible Studies. These messages were selected from thousands of studies that were recorded live at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa over the past 40 years. They represent the very best Bible studies by Pastor Chuck Smith. Every message is dynamic and filled with rich insights as Pastor Chuck expounds upon relevant issues on a variety of topics related to the Christian faith. This series will strengthen and inspire you to diligently study the Word of God and apply it to your life. You can order a copy of Pastor Chuck's most requested Bible studies available on MP3 by calling the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. 